You're listening to the Yes, I'm Still Sober podcast with John Rabin. All right. Welcome to the Yes, I'm Still Sober podcast. I'm John Rabin, and this is episode 150. Holy shit, you guys. 150? I mean, that's an arbitrary number. We should celebrate. (laughs) 150 episodes. I mean, I don't know if I should wait till episode 158. That's officially three years. Maybe I'll mention it. I'm sure I'll mention it. That's that's about as far as, as I go for an anniversary show, as you know. It's what I do. I'm like, yay! Big ups. Big ups to me. I am uh, I'm constantly... Not I am. I have been, for the past few weeks, uh, experimenting with locations within my uh, apartment... And uh, I did it reclining on a bed last week just because that's uh, I was lazy and tired from work. So I tried that. Uh, I was comfortable. I think I talked more. Uh, I think I talked e- uh, more easily because of it. But uh, I had a problem, I think, with the uh, control of the volume and holding because I was holding the fucking microphone instead of sitting it down um now i'm uh in a in a location that i normally don't record at uh at my desk because it's in a bigger room and i and uh i don't like the acoustics as much but i think i'm just overthinking shit and i should just go with it so i'm just gonna go with it because i was i'm thinking am i not talking loud enough as if if i was too quiet you couldn't just turn up the volume I don't know why I think that I have to be a certain way with a microphone. I don't know. I don't understand. That's fine. But it's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm hoping, I hope you're having a good week. It's been, uh, it seems to, uh, I don't know. It's weird out there, Right. People that I know who uh, work in bars and they're, you know, working, they're short-staffed. They said it's like Friday night every night out there here in Austin, Texas. So uh, people are really going out. They're like, we got to make up for lost time. Quick, more alcohol to my liver. Uh, I don't, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know if, if, uh, if that's good or bad, but uh, people are getting out there. We'll see what that, that means. I hope you're doing all right, though, emotionally. Hope you're getting out some. Hope you've been vaccinated so that you can get out some or whatever. I had a... Oh, I need, this is the weirdest thing happened today. So I'm at work. And uh, I work in a warehouse that rents out... Uh, like cutlery, glasses, plates, like high-end stuff, as well as other table accessories uh, for weddings, photo shoots, special events, all that stuff. 
And we have these salt and pepper shakers that are made from horns. Horns of what? Uh, deer. I don't know. So, or at least they're, you know, I don't know. They might, they might be like fall horns. I don't know what they are. They look like it, uh, they're fancy anyway. But they're not like, they're not like cheap, shitty salt shakers that are white and black that are, this is clearly for salt. This is clearly for pepper. And there is not a consistent a consist, consensus online about whether, because one shaker has one hole in it and one shaker has three holes in it. And there's an argument, if you look at online, nobody can, can agree on which goes into which. The one that makes the most sense is that salt goes into the shaker with one hole because it comes out easier. Whereas pepper is larger, you know, larger grains. So it needs three holes for it to come out easier. But other people say, no, no, no. And, and the thing is that I grew up in a house in like in a family not just my immediate family, but other family where they had fancy salt shakers, you know, or like they, like my grandmother had like some kind of weird figurines, but the salt went in the three hole and the pepper went in the one. That's, that's just how it's been. in you know, my redneck side of my family. So do you trust the rednecks? I don't know. I think it's your preference. Regardless, my boss Apparently is the same as me because he's like, no, uh, no salt's got to be in the in the three hole. And the, all the shakers had it reversed to where the salt was in the one hole. So I had to clean them out because we were going to send these out and you can't have like pepper residue in a shaker with with salt in it. So so I cleaned them out and it's. You know, and we, we, there's another employee that, that works, that does the marketing and stuff. And she goes, do we have salt and pepper here? And I said, no, but De La Soul is waiting in the wings. And my boss laughed really hard because that's a good fucking joke. It's really fast. And she stared at me blankly. Now, me, by me saying that, can you guess the ages of of the marketing girl and my boss. My boss is clearly over 40. Marketing woman is clearly not remotely close to 40. She did not know who De La Soul was, but I thought it was fucking clever and a great reference. Not 30 minutes later, as I'm washing them out, I'm listening to... The Rich Eisen Show, which is a sports show on NBC Peacock and also a and then posts as a podcast episode. So I'm listening to the podcast episode and one of his guests makes a joke with a De La Soul reference. And Rich goes, wow, De La Soul reference is one of the best references we've had on this show in a long time. And that's fucking crazy because I hadn't heard it. This was 30 minutes after. And I don't, I've never made a De La Soul reference before. Weird, right? Just kind of, you're, you're on a, you know, just 
some kind of psychic connection in society. It's always something like that, right? You're always like connected, but in a meaningless way about meaningless shit. You're on the same wavelength, but not of anything important. It's just of a early 90s soul reference. Anyway, I hope uh, I hope your sobriety is doing all right. If you're a sober person, taking a day to day, of course. I hope if you're not a sober person, I hope you're staying sane. And with that in mind, I would like to uh, talk about something that uh, this happened uh, like a week or a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't say anything about it because I just found out about it this past week. It did not make a big news, which is odd because the opioid crisis should be big news, but it's not it's not trending. It's not buzzworthy right now. You know, coronavirus, you know, COVID still gets top billing. And of course, things that you know, things that people say on the right or the left that piss off the right or the left. That, of course, still gets top billing. But uh, the Biden administration apparently uh, eased regulations on being able to uh, to access to to obtain or to prescribe uh, buprenorphine and naloxone. Naloxone. Yes. Also known together buprenorphine by itself um big name brand is called subutex the but it with naloxone it's called suboxone suboxone yeah and uh and i've talked about that uh in the past just to refresh your memory what uh suboxone does it is it is an opioid but on a lower scale and what it does is when you take it it attaches to your uh, receptors, like it binds to receptors, so that other opioids can't attach to it. So it lessens your desire, and it basically it keeps you from going through withdrawal symptoms, or it lessens withdrawal symptoms. So it keeps you from going through really messed up withdrawal symptoms because it lasts for when you take it it should last for 24 to 72 hours and and by binding to those receptors if you say fuck it after you've taken suboxone and you go get like heroin and then you try to do the heroin it doesn't get you high like at all, like hardly at all, because it can't bind to the the pleasure receptors or whatever that are already that the suboxone is already attached to. So it pretty much once you take it, you're pretty much committing to. Well, I'm not going to go score because it'll be a waste, and it allows you to go through the withdrawal symptoms, so you stop doing the drug. And it uh, it calms you down. It's it helps with anxiety. And it's uh, it's a you know they some people call it a miracle drug, um, but it's hard to get a prescription to. I know a couple of people who are still 
you know, who, who it absolutely worked for. I tried it uh, back in the day when it wasn't all that common. And it absolutely does those things. It absolutely keeps you from getting sick. And that's the big thing. Clearly, taking a drug doesn't help you change your mind about wanting to get sober. Like, it's still, you know, it doesn't, you know, obviously a, a medicine doesn't cure you your, you psychologically. But uh, it's definitely something that in this day and age, with everything else that's available, to make it harder to get because it's classified as an opioid is not, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. It's something that should have been done 10 years ago. And then also hopefully, well, that's the thing. There were 90,000, at least 90,000 overdose deaths last year, which is the most ever in our history. So it's, it's very much, you know, the, the opioid crisis is still a crisis. In fact, it, uh, any kind of improvements that were occurring were immediately made null and void by the pandemic and the lockdown, obviously, because what happens is, you know, you can't work, you can't keep your mind off of it. You're stuck at home. What else are you going to do? If you successfully applied for unemployment, now you've got money. You're getting paid to not work, to be safe, but you're at home. What are you going to do? All these invitations to get back on to doing drugs or drink at home, that sort of thing. So I had said, uh, yeah, I'd said like a couple of months ago that I was like, when, when are they going to at least try to tackle this i mean clearly we're always on our own when it comes to our own recovery and trying to get help and stuff that it you know that the government can't fix that for us but uh but it would be nice if there was help also what also kind of bugs me is that they you know it's it's called the opioid crisis but Man, there's still some issues out there. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's interesting to, to single out opioids. And then, uh, you know, and then it's like, and those are the only ones that are, are, are a problem. Like nationally, it's like, we've got to take care of this opioid crisis. You know, what about meth? Eh. You know, big, big pharma that produces you know benzos and uh and adderall they're all like yes it's opioids only purdue you yeah go get them go get purdue that's the only one that uh oxycodone that's the big one and then everything else is fine please ignore all other prescription drugs because opioids those are the big ones let's just focus on that alone uh yeah i don't of course man if you really think about it it's just it's such a tough issue like it's complicated everything's always 
things that haven't been fixed haven't been fixed because they're complicated. It's just, it just is. You know, it's like uh, here, for example, here in Austin, we had a, we have an issue with the homeless. And then there was, uh, they re- repealed um, a ban or it's illegal to camp on public areas that have not been uh, designated for camping. And this is the way it's always been. That way you, you just can't camp anywhere, like, say, the sidewalk or on, um, you know, on, on public, on somebody, you know, on public grass, on, you know, just out, you know, under overpasses. That kind of thing. So they repealed that because of issues with the police, you know, harassing and abusing homeless people. So instead of dealing with the problem, which is the police, they decided to do away with the law, which is a lot like if. You had a a garbage truck in your neighborhood when every time they came by to pick up your garbage, they ran into several cars on your neighborhood and caused damage. And they're like, we've got to do something about all this damage to our cars. I know. Let's get rid of trash pickup instead of dealing with the problem, which is the garbage truck drivers. In this case, the police. So, but, but that's the whole thing. So, so then what happened here in Austin is they've got, uh, so, so after a while and then the pandemic hits, you've got tents everywhere and people are camping and, you know, the homeless are living underneath the overpasses and gathering because people are finding out that it's, it's legal to camp here. So people, so there are homeless people moving here as well. It's not just one. And that's the thing is everybody's got, got their view of who they think the homeless are, you know? And the thing is, everybody's view of the homeless is definitely somebody in that group. Because I don't like, you know, you can say the homeless, but it's, you know, there's also, it's, you know, you people say panhandlers, but, you know, most of the homeless aren't panhandlers. Um, most, uh, a lot of the homeless that, you know, are not people that you see, you don't see them. You see a certain part of that population and you think everybody's like that. And that's not, that's not the case. So it's, it's this complicated issue. So, so now it's like, well, everything's turning to shit and things are, it's very, very dangerous in these groups and there's fires and there's you know, garbage everywhere. And then it's, you know, there's shit everywhere and urine and every, and, it, and it's just, it, it's, it's not great. It's not a good solution. So they put on a proposition to reinstate the camping ban. And that's the powder cake. That was the powder cake for our election this year was 
uh, we need to reinstate the uh, the the camping ban. And so you've got two sides who are just like, no, you're making homeless illegal, which is not necessarily true. And the other side is like, no, we got to reinstate it. And then that'll fix everything. And the thing is, one proposition is not going to fix this. You know, and, and also they're like, well, we've got to get these people homes or get these people someplace to live. That also isn't going to fix everything. Also, that's difficult because there are programs available where people can apply for. But a lot of people won't stay in those in those that public housing because you have a bunch of requirements and you have a bunch of rules and people don't like rules. People would rather do drugs in a tent that have to be sober in a shitty public housing that's uncomfortable, that probably has bed bugs, that's, uh, that's probably poorly run, poorly managed, you know, which is not a, it's a temporary solution, but it's not a great one. But there's, you know, and, and the other thing about it is, is that you've got a bunch of programs that can help some people. And they can help people who are displaced and who need jobs, who need a uh, bus pass. When I got out of uh, when I got out of jail and I got out of my uh, treatment program in Travis County and got into a, a sober house, I applied for different programs to get me a free bus pass so I could go to work, and got me a uh, a uh, like got on food the food stamps card, whatever whatever it's called. I can't remember what, what it's called now. Um, you know, so there are different programs that are available, but you got to be able to apply for them. And if you've already applied for them and you've already gone through the system, can you apply for it again? Everything is very difficult and complicated and requires some effort and requires less work, uh, requires more work than just this, than just a simple yay or nay to a proposition requires way more propositions but everybody likes to boil it down to to uh, let's vote this down and everything will be okay it won't be okay people need help but then the other argument you know the argument is well a lot of you know many of these people are mentally ill and they need you know mental health they need but the, but the the problem with mental health and like therapy and different stuff. You have to want to get help. You have to want to go into therapy and want it to work. And you can't make people get better mental health. So it's like, do you make it available? Well, how do you make people get, you can't make people get better. You have to just provide them the opportunity and hope that they take the opportunity and save who you can. You know, make it be, and and that's how I think of. And I'm sorry to bring that up. And it's like, well, what's your opinion of the homeless? Uh, this is it's it's too complicated. Then a thumbs up, thumbs down, everyone. Um, and and that's the thing about uh, tackling the opioid crisis is it's 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 fucking hard because what should happen is number well they've already taken the first step, which is they they need to makes suboxone easier to get be prescribed that's that's one or two they need to make uh that the um overdose reversal drug which i did not write down what the name of it was 
It's another long word. I could Google it, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, <laughs> you Google it. You do it. But uh, they need to make that more available and more affordable. And they need to make rehab easier to get into. Because the only people that are getting into rehabs are rich, rich kids. That's the only people that are getting into it. People whose parents have money and they're trying to get them help. That's, that's it. So they need to, they need, they need to have grants to be able that you can apply for. That's how I got into rehab is I applied for a grant that uh, the program was later taken away shortly after I completed rehab, like within the next couple of years after that. But you need to be able to apply for, for a grant that can pay for your rehab if you're in a certain group. And in my opinion, you need to be able to, it needs to be available, but not super easy to get. You have to make people kind of work for it. Not like hard, but like you have to put forth an effort. That's important because a lot of people, rich kids who get sent to rehab didn't, you know, you didn't, they didn't try, you know, that's, it's, it's like, uh, it's like a babysitter. They get sent and they're like, all right, here we go again. You know, they don't want to go. They're just doing it to appease their parents and they didn't pay for it. So there's no vested interest. But when you have to work for it a little bit to get into it, it needs to be available. And then it's like, I really need help. Let me apply for this grant and get into it. So that's what needs to happen is they need to have something, but but make it, a, you have to do like a couple of steps. Like you can't just be, you know, oh, let's just, here's another grant. Oh, here's your third rehab. Like you, you it, it's got to, you got to have some weight to it. It's got to be some, you got to be, have a vested interest. And that, that allows you to, I mean, that, that puts you more in a mindset like I, you know, I can't blow this and you're going to try harder. And I think that that, that allows you to have a more successful rehab experience, uh, if you will. That's, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I think. I think th those three things, I mean, outside of that, I don't know what else you can do, but that is a huge obstacle because as I said, you know, as I, as I said, uh, like in the previous episode is that it's, um, you can't just expect a 12 step program to take care of the psychological, emotional bullshit that you put yourself through. It's like you get sober. It can help you get sober if you work it, but then you're still broken for, and which led you to do the drugs in the first place. So you got to address that and therapy ain't free. Hopefully maybe one day it will be free. I don't know. Don't hold your breath. But, uh, but that's the thing is that it's, it, it's complicated, but I hope that they do those things. I don't know. Things are complicated, man. Everything's complicated. Man, I, 
it's weird out there. I don't know if you've been out in a group, but there's this weird underlying, like everybody's, uh, I mean, I'm glad I'm out, but also, uh, man, we are all, I don't know. There's gotta be mental health. Talking about mental health. They, they, they need to, I know people, it's, it's real easy to go. How's the government going to fix this? <sighs> they, I don't know. They need to make mental health uh, professionals more available at a discounted rate. Because as a whole, you know, we went, you know, we're exper- experiencing PTSD worldwide, right? Like we're, there's a lot of people who, if you didn't have a, a mental health issue before, you certainly have one of, uh, you know, after 2020. Varying degrees depending on the person. You know, somebody like me, I, you know, I've already got my my issues. Like if you had an issue already kind of sitting there, the PTSD didn't get, you know, didn't didn't catch, didn't fuck you up as much because you've already got, it's like, hey, move along. This seat's taken. That's, that's, that's uh, yeah. My, my disorder was all taken. Move along. Move to the next person. Find somebody else. This seat's taken. That's, that's my scientific theory. It's the, uh, the bus scene from Forrest Gump. That's my metaphor. I'm going to stick with it. And you know what? I think I'm going to end this episode with that. That's how I, that's, that's how it feels. It's, it's uneasy out there. Everybody's uneasy, but, but it's good. It's a change. We're trying to get out and see people again and have at least some contact with other people. And that's, I think that that's healthy. So I hope that you, uh, safely see people in the next week. Uh, but also take care of yourselves uh, and, and take care of uh, your family and uh, the, those that you love. Uh, this has been the Yes, I'm Still Sober podcast. I'm John Raven. We'll see you next week. Thank you, guys. Later. Telephone line